I'm talking about the book of Revelation. Hadn't been there in a while. This is part 29. So the good thing about technology is you can go to our podcast uh, feeders, Pod, Podbean. Is it Podbean? Podbean. Podbean, Spotify, and Apple products. And, so, and you know, if you got earbuds, listen, I walk. Sometimes I walk two, three miles a day, riding my bike, whatever I'm doing, out doing things, you know, busy. Honeydews at home, stuff. If I'm not working, I'll stick those things in and I'll listen to podcasts. So, you know, a good thing about this book of Revelation, if you haven't heard all this, go back and just listen to the podcast. Just let it run in the background while you're doing stuff. You'll glean a lot. I've done that all my life. If you put the word in you, then you know what? The word will come out of you when you need it. If you don't put the word in you, you're going to be whining and crying like a baby when problems come and wondering what in the world happened, Right? So anyway, we need the word. So do that. Anyway, this is uh, part 29. We're going to talk about Revelation chapter 17 tonight, the destruction of heathen religions. So again, the whole book of Revelation, John on the Isle of Patmos in the Aegean Sea, uh, 95 or so AD, long time ago. Jesus, he knew Jesus in the flesh, but Jesus appeared to him spiritually and he was the glorified son of God. And Jesus showed him the panorama of the future and what, would, what the world would look like just before Jesus came back and, and what those, uh, those that are here would be dealing with uh, as Jesus returns. And I'm, I'm so thankful and I've told the Lord how many times I appreciate him appearing to John and then having John write this message to the church. So what we're doing, we're going through uh, uh, verse by verse through the book of Revelation that brings us tonight to Revelation 17. It's been a long journey. It's been a couple of years. We haven't done it every Wednesday night, but you know we're finally here. And so again, there's a sequence of events. If you, you can just remember this, the book of Revelation is about God cleansing the earth from rebellion and sin contaminants of all kinds, both in the demonic world and in the natural world. Often God's judgments come through nature. And so what you're going to be noticing uh, has started now. Uh, You're going to see a lot of volatility in nature because we're leaving the age of grace. We're coming into the age of judgment. Hebrews 6 talks about the doctrine of eternal judgments and That's what the second coming of Christ is all about. Jesus is coming not as the lamb of sacrifice, but as the lion of the tribe of Judah who whips all of his enemies and sets this world back the way it was. He resets, puts the reset button and it goes back to what it was before Adam and Eve sinned. And it really will one day be the father and his family and the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. Won't that be awesome? And the cool thing about it, if you know Jesus, you'll experience all I just said. You'll be there with him. Aren't you excited about it? Eyes not seen, ears not heard, not even entered into the heart of man. The things that God has promised to those who love him. There are three uh, segments of judgments in the book of Revelation that are sequential. We've talked about those in great detail. And uh, I guess you can stick that end times thing chart up there. I'm not going to refer to it much, but... You know, this is in the notes. The notes are on the website. Go to victorychurchraleigh.com. You can follow some of what I say. Some of what I say is not going to be in the notes tonight, but much of it will be. But nonetheless, the seals, there were seals on the scroll in God's right hand. There were seven of them. They were broken. Things began to happen. And uh, judgments were here. The church will be here during those first judgments, the first six, the seventh seal breaks. That's when trumpet judgments occur. The church will not, not be here during that. And we're really getting close to these times on the earth right now. And then they are lastly, and we talked about last time bowl judgments uh, that, are, that will, 
will be the very last, last cleansing of the earth by God. Those are called bowl or some translations, older translations call it labor judgments. And those judgments in Revelation 16 we talked about last time, they actually, it only takes a little less than a month, maybe 27, 28 days and all seven of those judgments occur. We talked about that last time, and I don't want to get into the weeds of that. We're going to go right into what we're going to talk about tonight. Tonight, there is a verse in the, in the New Testament that really uh, is an underlying factor for what we're going to talk about in Revelation 17. Revelation 17 is God judging heathen religions. Ephesians 6, 12, of course, uh, King James, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood but it talks about four categories of demonic powers that surround the earth like a cloud, cloud canopy of darkness. And that's what we have to stand against with our faith. And we fight the good fight of faith, right? And so, you know, we need to realize that for us, they are defeated foes, but they have a legal right to be there until the lease that God originally gave Adam on the earth expires. And that lease expires when Jesus comes back at the second coming of Christ. That's the reason that God won't do anything to dispossess, to dispossess Satan and his hierarchy of demon powers from their particular thrones in the atmosphere of the earth because there is a time that that's going to happen and that's going to be at the second coming of Christ. Are you excited about that? Well, me too. So again, Revelation 16, the final judgments, we've talked about that, all seven of them. And uh, part of those judgments, the very last one, and I'll read that scripture in just a minute, is uh, the last judgment and the bold judgments in Revelation 16 is the religious systems that have ruled and controlled the earth for thousands of years that really are a counterfeit for true worship of the Almighty God. How many understand any person that worships a heathen God, a pagan God, they're not worshiping a pagan God, they're worshiping demon spirits. How do I know that? 1 Corinthians 10, 20, New Living is not in the notes. No, not at all. He says, I'm saying these, that these sacrifices, talking about people that sacrifice to idols, are offered to demons, not to God. And I don't want you to participate with demons. I've been in various parts of the world, 17, 18 nations. I've been to all over India, really. And uh, there's a lot of idol, I mean, gaudy, uh, overt idol worship there in India. They're beautiful people. We love the Indian uh, culture. But, you know, there's a lot of idolatry there. And, and, you know, I've seen people lay the flowers. When they're laying those flowers at those, uh, those God's feet, they're, they're worshiping demons. You know, when they, when they take their shoes off and go into that temple and, and go before that priest burning incense, they're worshiping demon powers. When I get into a, a taxi in another country and, and they've got incense burning or they've got a piece of fruit that they've sacrificed under the front wheel as they back up, uh, they've sacrificed to demon gods. And I've already bound them in Jesus' name. How many hear me? So it's just the world in which we live. We need to understand when we talk about false gods, we are talking about demon powers that are behind all of these things that men call false gods. Revelation 17 shows the complete destruction of that false religious system that has been used by Satan to stand in the way of the kingdom of God and wreak havoc on earth for thousands of years. I want you to go right to your Bible. Let's get right down to the weeds of this. Revelation 17, 1 and 2, New King James Version. It says here, then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls. How many know the seven is the number of perfection? It's the number for God. 
who had the seven bowls came and talked with me saying. And so here's John, an angel comes to him, says, come and I'll show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters with whom the kings of the earth committed fornication and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication and all that symbolic language. And he's talking about the worship of demon powers and what it's done to the nations of the earth. The great harlot there that he talks about, that great harlot literally is, I've got it in the notes there for you, a religious system that's operated throughout history to influence the conduct of nations and also to influence their rulers. It says they're made drunk with the wine of her fornication. People that worship demon powers, they think they're right and they don't even realize what they're doing is wrong. You know, a person who is inebriated, they're not in their right mind. They don't have the right senses about them. Sometimes they can't tell up from down, you know, uh, you know, right from wrong. Is that true? And then they act in ways that are completely and totally out of character. So he uses this verbiage of being made drunk with the wine of her fornication. Fornication meaning, meaning illicit sex. And that is the heart, the heart worship that should go to God is going to demon power. And that's what he's bringing out so clearly there. Again, Revelation 16 with the seven bowl judgments, which are the last judgments that cleanse the earth. So, so what's happening in Revelation 17? He's already talked about the judgment of the, of the religious systems that have, that have been in the earth throughout the thousands of years that, that uh, we have been here. Uh, but he's going back and he's talking about in detail the, the judgment of these systems uh, in Revelation 17. And then in Revelation 18, he talks about Babylon. And again, it's talking about that false religious system in Revelation 18. goes into detail about Babylon falling in one hour, this false religious system biting the dust. In Revelation 19, um, uh, the battle of Armageddon is, ensue, is ensuing, and there it is. And, and, and there, the final, the final battle between the Antichrist and Jesus. Jesus comes down with the saints from heaven and... Uh, defeats the Antichrist. Second Thessalonians 2 says, with the breath of his mouth, with the brightness of his coming, and you'll be there to see it. And then he's judged and cast into the lake of fire. Won't that be exciting? First of all, thrown into the bottomless pit. Nonetheless, Revelation 16, 17 through 19, is talking about this judgment of the false religious systems. Then the seventh angel poured out the bowl, uh, his bowl into the air. A loud voice came out of the temple of heaven from the throne saying, it's done. And there were noises, thunderings, lightnings, and there was a great earthquake, uh, such a mighty and great earthquake as has not occurred since men were on earth. Now this great city was divided into three parts and the cities of the nations fell. It's a tremendous earthquake basically flattened the earth made everything a level playing field and great Babylon was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath Babylon standing for these false heathen religions and so this is again the cleansing of the earth in preparation for Jesus return and the 1,000 years of, of Jesus ruling can you imagine Jesus ruling the earth a thousand years Swords armament will be will be uh, will be beaten into tools of agriculture during that during that time. The lion will lay down in the, with the lamb. There will be absolute prosperity, no sickness, no disease, everything absolutely pristine, without any devil from hell messing with you. Won't that be exciting? What a day that will be! 
My goodness. So anyway, this, uh, this religious system that we're talking about is sought to take God's place, the nations of the earth. And so let's examine this a little bit. It says here again in Revelation 1, it says, uh, Come, I'll show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters. Harlotry and whoredom. We don't use the word whore today because that's not nice, but how many know there's still a lot of whores around? It's not nice to say. It sounds awful. I don't even like to say it. I mean, it's better to say prostitute, but whore is pretty bad. But did you know people don't think much about sin today? <clears throat> people give their bodies away to sin. <clears throat> and they sanitize it. Say, well, we're just in love. No, you're in sin. If you're not married, you're in sin. And some people give their bodies to so many people, that's what the Bible calls them. That's tough. A harlot. I don't like that other word at all. I don't even like to say it. But see, God, that's what he said to Israel. And he said it in a heartbreaking way. He said, you're my people. You're my sheep. I'm your shepherd. I've called you by my name. You're mine. But you gave your heart away. You gave your heart away to my enemy. He said it weeping. The prophets would weep. You're like a harlot. You're like a whore. He said that to somebody he loved. Can you imagine God's heart, how broken he was? And then, you know, bring it home, James 4, the, half the practical half-brother of Jesus. Amplified New Testament, cut to the chase here. You're like talking about believers who are messing around and doing things they know they shouldn't do. They're giving their hearts to the things of this life. They're giving their, their bodies to sexual sin and practices that will that will hinder their relationship with Jesus. He says, they're like unfaithful wives. It makes me weep, y'all. Having illicit love affairs with the world. Breaking your marriage vows to God. If you're married, I mean, I've been married, y'all, for, I'll be 43 years this year. I could not imagine my wife giving herself to someone else. That would, uh, it would crush me. It brings up emotion when I say that. Uh, by God's grace, I'll never have her. I mean, I love my wife. She's a pure lady. That's how God feels about us when we give our hearts away. You ever think about that? See, sin, you think sin is wonderful and it feels good to you, but it breaks God's heart. You know, it's not that he wants to judge anything like that. He can't help it. He loves you. Sin breeds judgment if it's not repented of. And that's what this chapter is all about. The sins of mankind, the idolatrous heart that has given itself and prostituted itself with heathen religions has broken God's heart. God has had no choice but to back up and allow the natural progression of judgments to come. And he says here in James 4, you're like unfaithful wives, men and women of God, having illicit love affairs with the world. And breaking your marriage vows to God. Do you not know that being the world's friend is being God's enemy? Whoever chooses to be a friend of the world takes a stand as an enemy of God. So it says here again about this great harlot that it sits on many waters. Revelation 17, 15, later down in the chapter. 
It tells you what the waters are. Then he said to me, the waters which you saw, where the harlot sits are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. It's talking about people involved in this false religious system that have given their hearts away, taken their hearts from God and are worshiping really demon powers and it's affected all of the nations of the world. It's been worldwide in its influence. Now this started, now think about this. I have a whole lot to say about the flood of Noah, but I can't tonight. There were specific tangible reasons for the flood of Noah. Demon spirits had uh, intercourse with women and their, uh, their offspring were giants. Uh, Goliath of Gath was a giant that came from the offspring of these, uh, of these illicit relationships with angels and, and women. And uh, God had to chain these angels in dungeons of darkness. There's a place in the underworld, uh, actually below hell, called Tartarus. It's the place of the dead. And it's where these angels are chained, awaiting judgment, the judgment of that great day. And that's the reason for the flood. Archaeologists have found uh, bones of these creatures uh, some eight feet tall, some Goliath was over 10 feet tall, some 15 feet tall, uh, 25 feet tall, 36 feet tall. Yeah, they found bones just like that. Archaeologists have found them. What are they? The offspring of these illicit relationships between demons and, and women, or, or yeah, these fallen angels and women. And nonetheless, uh, it created the flood after the, after the flood of Noah. Uh, after the flood of Noah, um, uh, rebellion started once again and second generation passed uh, Noah's flood. There was a man by the name of Nimrod. And Genesis 10 talks about Nimrod. Cush begat Nimrod, Genesis 10, 8 through 10. Cush begat Nimrod. And then notice what it says about Nimrod. It says he became a mighty hunter. A mighty one on the earth. He was a something. Somebody's playing with this. Devil, get off of this in Jesus' name. My notes are running up and down. This is strange. Must be somebody watching that doesn't like what I got to say. Maybe somebody with uh, some of these companies. You know what? You need to hear what I'm saying. He began to be a mighty one on the earth. Verse 9, he was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore, it is said, like Nimrod, the mighty hunter... Before the Lord and the beginning of his kingdom was Babel, Erech, Akkad. Erech is Iraq. Akkad is actually Babylon, uh, or actually in that area. Kalna and in the land of Shinar, which is the modern day land of Iraq. Now I've got a dates annotated reference Bible. Uh, date, Genesis Finney's date spent 100,000 hours putting notes beside every single verse of the Bible. He did this uh, right around 1949, a long time ago. If you don't have an annotated, dates annotated reference Bible, it's worth it just for the notes. There are notes on each, on each side of, your, of the Bible text and at the bottom and sometimes around the top and at the end of each book of the Bible that are quite interesting to read. And you'll glean a lot from that. He had a photographic memory and uh, just was able to share a lot with the body of Christ. I appreciate Genesis Finney's day. Looking forward to seeing him in heaven one day. Nonetheless, he has a, a, a note he annotated there in Genesis 10. And he said, and it's in the notes, Nimrod comes from the Hebrew word marad to rebel. 
the point to some uh, it points to some violent and open rebellion against God. Nimrod began to be a mighty one in the earth by bold and daring deeds. He goes on to say his rebellion is associated uh, with the beginning of his kingdom and suggests that his hunting and mighty deeds were related primarily to hunting men. Listen, uh, by tyranny and force. That is, that is, Nimrod was a conqueror. In fact, I've, I've read some historical uh, facts about Nimrod uh, that are extra biblical and they mention the fact that uh, he conquered the nations that surrounded the cities that he, that he began. And uh, he was known for his mighty deeds. Again, he lorded over others, hunting and destroying all who opposed him in his despotic rule over people. This is the meaning understood by Josephus who was, uh, who was uh, during, um, during um, uh, the first, second centuries or so, was a Jewish historian. And it says, uh, and the writers of the Targums, which are the original Hebrew scriptures. Josephus says that Nimrod persuaded people to ascribe their happiness to him rather than God. That is, he said, I'm the mighty one. I can help your life be better. You look at me and you forget about this person people call God. You want to ignore him. And how many know he got in trouble over it? So again, he became a great leader, taught people to centralize. We're going to talk about this as we end tonight. And defied God to send another flood. So, so we're going to talk about the Tower of Babel because uh, actually Nimrod helped build the Tower of Babel, and, uh, which means confusion. And, uh, and, and the idea was after the flood, people became afraid that once the flood water's cleared, you got a couple of generations that have passed, people were afraid that God would get mad and send another flood. And Nimrod said, God's not going to kill me with a flood. I'm, I'm going to do, do him one better. So he built a ziggurat, which is a, a tower. It, wasn't, it says it reaches to the heavens, but it was tall enough that he thought that if a flood came again, uh, people could get on the top of that and survive it. And he certainly would be in that crowd. And so it was, a, it was an act of defiance against God. Heathen religions began at the Tower of Babel. Here's another uh, note from Dake's annotated reference Bible about the Tower of Babel. There are no words in Hebrew. Uh, in fact, let me read Genesis 11, 1 through 4, and then let me mention the note. Everybody okay? Now the whole earth had one language, one speech, and it came to pass as they journeyed from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar, that's modern day again, Iraq, and they dwelt there. They said to one another, Kim, let us make bricks, bake them thoroughly. They had brick for stone, they had asphalt for mortar, and they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens, that is, it's really tall, uh, estimates were it was uh, in excess of 300 feet tall. Uh, they did, didn't complete building it, however, let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. And the date's note says, there is no words in the Hebrew for it may reach to heaven, and which means there's nothing in the text to suggest that its height was to be as high as heaven. Rather, the top would be dedicated to the heavens with signs of the zodiac. 
portrayed as visible objects of worship. Up to this time, the whole race not only had one language, but one form of idolatrous worship. And it started right there when God confounded the languages. Dake says they begin to disagree on religion and other manners, breasting off into sex and party. So every heathen religion had its beginning there at the Tower of Babel with Nimrod, the mighty hunter. So every single heathen religion found in any nation of the world, I've got a bunch of these listed in the notes, that I'm not going to even give them the dignity of mentioning tonight. You can read them in my notes because these demon powers one day will hit the dirt and you need to know it. Every single heathen religion, religion dates back uh, to Nimrod and Babel, it's polluted the world with its defiance of God and his laws. Revelation 18.3 says, For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her, that is Babylon's fornication. The kings of the earth had committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. It says here, the rulers of the nations have fornicated with her. Showing that there is something, y'all, this is the strangest thing I've ever had. This has never happened. My notes are going up and down. You ought to see it. I'll just bring my hard copy if I have to. Um, the rulers of the nations have fornicated, showing that they use Babylon and the false religions for political gain. Business uses false religion as a way to make money. Joe, Jeremiah the prophet had something to say about Babylon. Jeremiah 51 7. Babylon was a golden cup in the Lord's hand that made all the earth drunk. The nations drank her wine. Therefore, the nations are deranged. And so again, these false religions that the Bible calls that, that, um, uh, that the angel said to John were harlots. Revelation 17, 3, it says they have a, it has accomplices. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness. I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, which was full of the names of blasphemy, having seven head, heads and ten hordes. Now this, this scarlet beast, we'll talk about that later. I don't have time to cover, but just about six verses tonight. That scarlet beast is referring, beasts in the Bible are, are kingdoms. And there are, there are uh, seven kingdoms that have dominated God's people Israel since Israel became a nation, you know, 3,000 years ago. And, uh, and every one of these kingdoms have allowed the, the heathen religions to work through them to hinder God's purposes uh, in his nation, uh, Israel, from which came our Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, it says here, uh, it was a scarlet beast full of the names of blasphemy. And so again... Uh, this scarlet beast refers to kingdoms that aid this false religious system. The Bible calls a harlot. The woman rides the beast. It's a mutual benefit. The, uh, the, um, the kingdoms help the false religion. The false religion helps the kingdoms that have been in history past. We'll talk about these next time. I'm not even going to talk about these seven kingdoms tonight. It's not the subject of my, uh, of my talk here, Revelation 17, verse 4. The woman, it says, this false religious system was arrayed in purple, scarlet, adorned with gold and, gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. Now notice this. Now why is he saying it this way? He says this false religious system that the Bible calls a harlot, the angel called it a harlot, 
was arrayed in purple and scarlet. That means fine clothes. The nicest clothes available in that era of time. It would be, it would be from the finest stores that you can find anywhere in the world today. Okay? And, uh, but it says purple, scarlet, adorned with gold, precious stones and pearls. See, it was beautiful to look at. And see, that's what the devil does. He makes things that, that, that God knows are wrong look absolutely beautiful and, and enticing. Right. No, it's, it's, I've really been kind of taken back, particularly when I've traveled to all these cities in India I've been to. And I don't know, I've been to India 13, 14 times. And, uh, and I've, I've visited these, these gaudy, gaudy Hindu temples. And there are 300 million Hindu gods and you just don't understand when you look at those temples, they are made, the steps are made out of ivory. There is gold. I mean, just gaudy, gaudy gold embellishments on the outside of the building. You walk in there, you got to take your shoes off. I mean, it's kept nice. And it's like, well, our church ain't this nice. I mean, that's first, well, my church ain't this nice. Look at this. You know, that's what the devil does. He makes that which will ruin you look like the best thing going. Is that not true? And that's what he did right here. Purple, scarlet, gold, precious stones. You know, that means gemstones that are really expensive and pearls. Then it says he has, she has in her hand a golden cup. A, there's one cup. All heathen religions drink from the same cup. It's demon power. How many hear me? Cup full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. You know, the sad thing to me is I've traveled. It's really sad. I've seen Europeans. I've seen people from uh, the UK. People really from all over Europe, y'all. And then Americans. I've met Americans. And you know what they do? They go over to places like India and they hire a guru because they want to they learn some higher intelligent stuff. And I think, you idiot. <laughs> Then I repent and have to pray for them because they're blinded by the God of this age. But that's what heathen religion does. It makes it look absolutely wonderful, but it will kill you in the end, right? And again, these gold jewels, pearls make her attractive to her clients. That is the nations of the world. You know, it's really odd that the, uh, the human in our fallen state, we would rather have a form of godliness through organized religion rather than the power of the gospel that demands sacrifice. Isn't it odd to you? Have you noticed? Have you noticed that those, those that uh, worship false religions, sometimes they are, they're more loyal to their religion than Christians are to Christianity? Has that ever bothered you like it bothers me? Man, they're going to go through that ritual. If it's a fast day, they're going to fast. You know, if it's a dress-up day, they're going to dress up. If it's a ritual day, they're going to ritualize and they won't miss it. It's human works replacing the grace of God. Huh? Why is that? Because we want to think we can do something to help God. That's what heathen religions do. Well, if you'll just do this and you do this and you stand this way and you bend that way and you, you hum this chant and you, you sing this tune and you take this thing and you play with these beads, you're going to be all right. You're going to heaven. Now, it ain't about you, my friend. No, no, salvation's about who Jesus is and what he did. And the thing that makes Christianity great is you've got to sacrifice yourself. It's not going to come by doing things. 
Not by works of righteousness we have done, but by his mercy he saved us. How many hear me? Then Revelation 17, 5, on her head, a name was written, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of abominations of the earth. So again, this Mystery Babylon, heathen religions, it's the fountainhead of all religions on the earth. And so again, Revelation 17, 6, and I'm going to culminate with my major point here as we conclude. Revelation 17, 6, I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints. And with the blood of martyr of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. And so all of the persecution of both, of both uh, Jews prior to the church age, prior to Jesus coming. And then all of the persecution during the church age, it all goes back to these heathen religions and what they do. How many hear what I'm saying? And it's these demon powers behind it. And that's what he's saying. This woman, these false religions are drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And so you say, well, why can't we do something about heathen religions? My job and your job is to preach the gospel to every every creature. When Jesus comes back, he's going to take care of these heathen religions. Mystery Babylon. How many hear me? As I conclude tonight, I'm going to try to make the complicated real simple. So I want you all to hear me out. I studied all afternoon on this. And and, uh, so I told somebody earlier... I've given my sacrifice this afternoon and I've thrown water on it. So I say, God, if this is going to work, you've got to do it because I'm not going to try. So here I am. I've got all these notes and I, I studied out a little bit further. I was actually um, really taken back with what's happening today. We are, it seems like, in the final stage of the game. It looks like we really are the generation that are going to see Jesus come back. We really could be entering into that seven-year period typically called the Great Tribulation honestly at any time. We're just looking for somebody to make some kind of an agreement with Israel, and that'll set, a, that, that'll set the time clock going. And, and we're looking at that, but um, you know, there's some other things on the earth that are going on that let us know that the spirit of Antichrist is loose here. And I just want to uh, let you in on a few things that I have studied out. And uh, I, uh, in my, you know, in my private time and my devotional life, I usually got four or five books going at any one time. One of the books I just finished reading was a book by Thomas Horn entitled Shadowland. The very last chapter of the book I finished a couple of days ago and, and what I read blew me away because it went right in line with what I've been studying about the Antichrist book of Revelation about Jesus' second coming. So listen to what I found out. So, so again, the backdrop of this is we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, the rulers of the darkness of this world, spiritual wickedness in high places. So, so hear me out. Well, what's happening in the world right now? The world is, is, is going head, headlong right into a one world ideology. A one world ideology where everybody makes the same amount of money. That's the great reset. How many hear what I'm just, I just said? The eventuality of that is nobody owns property. Property is owned by the government. Everybody has the same amount of money doled out by the government. I don't care what you make. Everybody gets the same. That's where the world is headed. So you need to hear me out. Uh, if there are no national boundaries There are no national borders because every person in every nation is exactly the same. And everyone's ruled by the same common law. Hear me out. 
Does that sound familiar to you? Does it sound like battles that we're fighting in America today? Yes or no? Does it? Uh, wow. Uh, it looks like a sanitized religion uh, where all religions lead to the same God. Have you heard that propagated? In culture, it's that's what people are talking about. All religions lead to the same God regardless of which one you happen to you. Friends, that's, that's false doctrine. How many hear me? And that's an antichrist spirit. And uh, then uh, there's, uh, you know, the economy, one economy, one set of laws, one religion. And it's this one world ideology that's being pushed really, really strong. Now, this comes from Nimrod and his era of time. And let me, and then the sexual uh, amorality. Put an A in front of anything, it makes it the opposite. Instead of morality, there's no morality. It all comes from that same era of time. And it's the same demon, demon spirit that is rising back up, that rose up right after the flood of Noah, second generation. So hear me out really carefully. I can do this quickly. Again, I'm trying to make, I want to make the complicated simple. Nimrod, uh, Nimrod, um, one thing that happened, he, um, the culture that he was involved in, about 3800 to 3100 BC, and it was the Uruk culture. And, you know, they really were highly developed. They had a, a high, highly developed social system. They had highly developed order and controls. They began cities. And to begin a city, you've got to figure out how to, how to, how to, how to make organization in the city work. You have to have food. You have to have transportation. You have to have safety. So the cities were usually built by a, by a, by a large river. So there's a good water source. And then there's a fertile plain. They got to have plenty of food close by. They had all that going for them. They were, they were uh, highly developed in the arts. There were certain kinds of pottery during that time that archaeologists have found that are, are just absolutely gorgeous and beautiful. And you can look in encyclopedias and various places on the internet and find everything I'm talking about and look at the beautiful pottery and the things that they made. They were quite artistic people. But one thing that, um, that began to trouble the archaeologists when they were looking at all the digs during that era of time, the, e, uh, the U-R-U-K uh, cultures, uh, was that they found these uh, shards of pottery uh, that uh, overwhelmed everything else, all of the nice stuff they had, uh, more than anything else, that about three-quarters of the pottery they found during this era of time. It, was, uh, it, it looks like it was made in a mold, and pottery and uh, 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 anything made out of clay has to be put in a kiln, and then has to be heated up so that it can be purified, hardened so it can hold water. None of these were put in a kiln. All of these, it looks like uh, beveled pots, had a little bevel on the edge of them. And, and they were really small. And three quarters of the pottery from there is, are these beveled pots that are porous. They don't hold water. And what the archaeologists find out is probably the people ate from these pots. They would be like styrofoam plates we have today. You know the plates if you go uh, to get to-go food and, you, and it's in a little styrofoam container? That's what this would be synonymous with, even though they didn't have plastics and styrofoam and that kind of thing. In that day, those little bowls stood for that because they were plentiful and discardable. And they found piles and piles of shards of these little bowls, which leads the 
archaeologists to believe this as people begin to migrate under Nimrod and his and his people's leadership, they begin to migrate to cities because they were looking for safety and they were looking for someone to feed them. And they were willing to trade their freedoms uh, for in the place of safety and food. Do you hear me? And so these pottery shards, this rustic pottery is just ugly. It's what they ate barley mixed with olive oil. That's what they ate it out of. It was just a dispensable thing. But everybody did the same thing. That's the idea. Did you hear what I just said? Second thing about Nimrod I found that was quite quite insightful. Again, he's the second generation after the flood. And there is a list of Sumerian kings after the flood. There was one before him. There was was two generations between uh, Nimrod and the flood of Noah. So there's one generation it dot off, he's the second generation. And if you look in uh, extra biblical history, you will find the name Enmerkar. And that was uh, n- uh, Nimrod's outside of the Bible name as he, as he ruled over people. And it is said of Enmerkar, who is Nimrod, he was known for erecting two buildings. I'm leading up to a main point in closing, but I want you to hear this. He was well known for erecting two buildings. The first building, the first building's name was Iana, House of Heaven. And it was named after and it was built for uh, Iana, the goddess of sex and war. And he so venerated Iana, the goddess of sex and war, that he built her a gaudy temple where she could be worshipped. So she was the goddess of fertility. So people went in there and did all their gaudy, nasty things with his idol gods and with, their, and, and with those that represented him so that their wives could be fertile. They have lots of babies and then so their crops would grow and then so they could win the battles in war. So, uh, so let me talk to you a minute about Iana, the goddess of sex and war that Nimrod built a building for called Iana, house of heaven. Let me talk about this false god. Now listen to this. Every false god descends from Iana that Nimrod built a building for every false god. You got Ishtar in Babylon. You got Astart in Canaan. You got Aphrodite in Greece. You got Venus in the Roman era. And I've got a whole list of them that I didn't read in my notes. Every sing- And listen, every single false god in history, uh, from I don't care what people group you're studying, all of them had one common denominator, illicit sex. Lester Sumrall wrote a book, 60 Things God Says About Sex, before he died. And he said this, he said that the devil could have a middle name, it would be sex. Because he propagates illicit sex. Now let me talk about Iana just a minute, and you'll get where I'm going with this fairly quickly. Uh, Iana was androgynous. That is, she had both male and female parts. You can see pictures, you can look up her name, and and she has a beard. So Iana and and the people that followed Iana and those that were in that religion of Iana, um, she could change, she could be a male one day and be a female the next day. 
and then her adherents, uh, they would change from male to female. One day they're male, the next day they're acting out as a female, and then vice versa. One day they're a female, and then they're acting out as a female. Did you hear what I just said? It's quite interesting. Another thing about Iana and her idolatrous ways was that she influenced women to dress like men and men to dress like women. Does any of that sound like things we're having to deal with today? In America, in Europe, all over the world. Is it anything we're dealing with today? Yes or no? Question. Is what we're dealing with today demonic? Can you see the parallel between Nimrod's time and the same demon spirit that's coming back up? Second building that Nimrod built was the temple of the god of Abzu. Abzu is the Hebrew word for abyss. So here's a god that he was worshiping that literally came out from the nether world and came up. And he built a building called the Tower of Babel. The Tower of Babel. So this uh, the temple of the God of Abzu is also called the Tower of Babel. Did you know that? Isn't that it? And, and it, it raised God's ire so much that he came down and confused their languages. So they could not finish that ziggurat that they were building. You will not do it. God got upset with him. How many hear what I'm saying? So from Nimrod, as I conclude, the spirit of Antichrist, my friends, is loose on the earth today. And it comes from Nimrod, his time, the mighty hunter. And the spirit of Antichrist has this ideology just like the people, uh, just like the ideology that Nimrod propagated in his time. First of all, an ideology, everybody gets paid the same. Equal everything. Those who work give their money to those who do nothing. Everybody gets the same. Does that sound familiar today? Yes or no? It's quiet when you talk about this. I'm not talking here about politics. I'm talking about mindsets. I'm talking about ideologies that are rising up strongly in the earth today that have been here since the inception of time. How many hear what I'm saying? The other thing that uh, the spirit of Antichrist is all about is amorality or no morals. Iana. All false gods worldwide are worshipped just the way she would. So today, gender fluidity, this binary idea that you can be a male or a female, or, or now they're wanting to teach our children in school. Well, one day you may feel like a female, so act out as a female. Or one day you may feel like a male and you're a female, so act out as a male, or vice versa, and all that kind of mess. How many hear me? So men that, that feel like they're a, a woman trapped in a, a man's body or a, a woman and she feels like she's a man trapped in a woman's body. And then those, those men who want to dress like women and women who want to dress like men. How many hear me? That is from that same demon spirit that arose during Nimrod's time. It's quiet in this Baptist church. Do you hear what we're dealing with right now? 
You think these are political things. Friends, these are not political issues. These are spiritual issues that are set to ruin the populace of the world and to push the world away from God. It's the spirit of Antichrist. And we should resist it as believers. Why are y'all so quiet? Are you absorbing this? Your children are being influenced by these demon gods at school, in the curricula, in the classroom, in the college courses. How many hear what I'm saying? It's all over social media. We're drowning in it. And who is lifting their voice? And if we don't lift our voice, why don't we lift our voice? As the spirit of this age grasps our hearts to the extent that we're afraid to be ashamed for calling on the name of Jesus and calling for purity and calling for holiness. So where are you? You're watching online. Where are you in this? Are you standing your ground? Are you contending for the faith that was once delivered to the saints? Or are we acquiescing to the spirit of the age that came all the way back from Nimrod's time? How many hear me? My friends, the things that we're dealing with today are millennia old These are the same old demon forces that have been here since the beginning of the fall of man, the fall of Adam and Eve, and started all the way back at the Tower of Babel. The ideology of no national boundaries. All nations are the same. A one world set of laws for everybody. A money supply where everybody's paid by their government the exact same wage. That is where the world is heading. How many hear what I'm saying? Now there's a modern term for all, for all of this. And I'm going to end this with this so you can see la. That is pause and calmly think about it while you go home. There's a term used worldwide for what I just said. And it's called being a progressive Friends, that's not progress. That's failure. Anything that seeks to take our morals away, anything that disincentivizes the ethic of work in the individual is the antichrist spirit and should be resisted. And here's where we are. See, a lot of people get on me because I talk about some of these things and they say, you're talking about politics Friends, listen to me. You cannot and you should not separate your political life from your spiritual life. If you do, you will lose both. That is not popular, but it's facts. And friends, if we don't face facts in America, we will be a third world country very rapidly. That's where we're going. The spirit of Nimrod is here. The same demon gods that ruined the world then are seeking to ruin the world now under the auspices of the Antichrist. And what are we going to do in America? Are we going to twiddle our thumbs and do nothing and just say, whatever will be, will be? Are we going to contend for what is right? Are we going to sit back and allow our children to be influenced by these demon spirits 
that are telling them they can be anything that, that anybody says they want to be sexually. Friends, if we shut our mouths, we will receive the same judgments that cultures in history receive. There is no, there is no culture in history that embraced these kinds of concepts that ever survived. Did you hear what I'm saying? We got a choice to make in America. We got a choice to make as the church of the Lord Jesus. We got churches that are acquiescing to these belief systems and these thought patterns. They're pastors that are saying all this stuff is all right. They are bowing their knee to demon gods. The gods that were here, these demon gods that were here with Nimrod. So Father, I pray for us. I pray for the mercy of God. I pray for the grace of God. I pray for the Spirit of God to rise up in every believer in the United States of America. Jesus, I'm glad you're coming to judge these religions and these demon spirits behind them. But Father, give us a backbone to stand for morality, to stand for what is right, and not to be afraid to be vilified when people are saying things that we know are wrong. Help us to stand our ground and love them just, just like you love us when we know we're wrong. Let that spirit, let that attitude be on us. And for that, we just give thanks. We just give thanks.